We're so glad you could join us for the mornings at YCBC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with Him. So let's get into the Word. Well, let's pray as we come to reflect on God's Word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for your presence among us as we gather here, as we're connected and gathering in spirit online. Burden for your presence. And so this morning we, we come to your word for strength, for comfort, for courage in the midst of the trials, the highs, the lows of life. And so I pray this morning that through my words, that your word would speak. That your spirit would take this written word and make it living and active in our lives. In the name of the word, Jesus Christ, we say, Amen. Uh, so, after finishing a reasonable length series, uh, seven weeks we spent on the letters of Jesus to his church. Um, I'd like to leave some space between before we pick up another series. And so we've had a, have a few weeks between of just seeking God's Word in that week and, and then we'll pick up another series in a little while. And, and so sometimes the inspiration for a, uh, a, a message um, can be somewhat convoluted or sometimes it can be quite clear and precise. And so um, I, I want to share a few things this morning around how we get to this place. Um, you can see the, the title of the message on the screen, but we'll get there in a moment. Uh, so, uh, firstly, I have a confession to make. Uh, my music taste is um, typically 90s uh, rock, you know, your Pearl Jams, your Powder Fingers, um, your bands of that ilk, uh, a bit of U2, uh, that kind of stuff. But I have a confession to make. I don't mind the odd song from Taylor Swift. Um, who didn't like, you know, shaking it off? Come on, we all like to kind of shake it off. Uh, uh, there's a more recent one, I don't know how recent, I don't really follow the trend, but uh, it, it's come up in my life more recently uh, called Are We Out of the Woods Yet? Yeah, or Out of the Woods. And, and so the chorus is quite hard um, to pick up and if I weren't restricted by health regulations I would sing it for you, but I'm just going to have to say it this morning. Uh, but the chorus goes, Are We Out of the Woods Yet? 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 Are We in the Clear Yet? Are We in the Clear Yet? Are We in the Clear Yet? Are we out of the woods? So hold that thought. That's the title of today's message, though. Are we out of the woods yet? Last week, my family and I, uh, the, not last Sunday, but the Sunday before, uh, after worshipping together with church family, we jumped in the car and drove eight hours um, to my biological family, to my mum and dad's farm, the other side of Tamworth. And so uh, normally on a shorter drive, we're, we're pretty... Um, nasty parents and we don't allow our children any devices or screens or anything like that. Once that drive gets up to eight hours, we flip the other way and it's like, yep, here you go. Here's an old phone with some movies on it, headphones, you watch that. And so my beautiful wife, Christy, and I, we listened to a podcast series for some of the way uh, about a group of mountaineers climbing K2, which is the second highest mountain in the world, but a lot harder to climb, not from personal experience, but from what they say, a lot harder to climb than the tallest mountain in the world, Mount Everest. Apparently, one in four people that try and climb K2 die. 
And so this was a, uh, a story of a, a harrowing attempt where lots of people got lost, lots of people um, lost their lives, but others managed to somehow survive. And so there's the story of um, this one guy who, um, it was too late, he was coming down in the dark and he, got, he was snow blind as well and he lost his way, and, um, but he was also suffering from oxygen sickness, so he just had to keep getting down um, lower and lower on the mountain and miraculously survived two nights in like ridiculously freezing temperatures in what they call the death zone as he was trying to find his way down. And they eventually found him, like there's five camps as they go up the mountain below Camp 2 or something like that, that he'd gone off the wrong route in the night, blinded by the snow uh, and managed to somehow get down the mountain by a more difficult route than normal. And, and so it was this long harrowing, are we out of the woods yet? Are we in the clear kind of moment? And so... Um, whilst at my parents' farm, which is kind of in the valley surrounded by, I'd like to call them mountains, they're really just hills, but they're quite steep, uh, but they don't reach the height where you suffer altitude sickness, of course. I had the thought, perhaps inspired by this podcast, um, let's climb this hill that we call Baldy, which is right at the back of my parents' property. Uh, it's not on their property, it's behind it. Um, don't tell the neighbours. Uh, we, we decided we'd climb it, and, and as, as a child, we'd gone up there a few times as a family. Uh, and I'd like to kind of take more sense of triumph from climbing it, but my six-year-old son and my almost 70-year-old mother uh, and father, who's 72, climbed up it as well. And Dad's like a mountain goat, so it was quite easy. But there was this moment on that climb uh, that uh, it kind of flattens out a little bit along the ridge line before you go up to a steeper bit that's kind of like in the trees and in the woods. And so as a family, as uh, closet Taylor Swift fans, we started singing, Are We Are The Woods Yet? Are We In The Clear Yet? And so we arrive at this point, Sunday morning, and what does God have to say? Well, that question is actually one that I've been sitting with this week. Are we out of the woods? Uh, that's a question that kind of connects with where we're at with COVID at the moment for me. You know, we thought that we were, we were out of the woods, that we're in the clear, that, yeah, we haven't all been vaccinated, we haven't got immunity one way or the other, but, but we've got rid of the virus in our country, and so we're in the clear to discover, well, not yet. And so, you know, with the church, we thought, well, we're in the clear, we can sing now. We've never worn masks really here, except for, you know, a few of us when it was strongly recommended, uh, but it's never been mandatory here, but now it is, and now we can't sing except for Eliza. Um, so we thought we were out of the woods, we thought we were in the clear, but not yet. For some of us, that's a work pressure thing. It might be COVID-related or it might not be. For some of us, we thought this was the moment, and you know, there's people in the church here that they thought this was the moment that they were finally going to recoup some of the loss, <clears throat> only to discover that there was going to be more loss thanks to COVID. We're not yet in the clear. Uh, for me, this week um, was a week of discouragement for most of the week. Um, I've been open and at least shared like that last year I had quite the... Um, significant emotional breakdown and, and I thought I was out of the woods, that I, I was doing well, but this week it only took a, a small, well not a small thing, but it just took something this big to discourage me this much. I thought, Am I? I thought we were in the clear. I thought we were doing better. And so I wonder if that's something that you're sitting with this morning. If there's a space in your life where you thought, I thought we'd be out of the woods by now. 
I thought we'd be in the clear. Perhaps it's that kind of out of the frying pan into the fire experience for some of us. Perhaps that thing is COVID-related and it's, and it's a right now intense thing or, or perhaps it's something that you've been enduring for 40 years of your life or 60 or 70 or 80, uh, 90. And you thought, I thought I would be in the clear by now. I thought the impact of this would no longer be in my life just yet. Are we out of the woods yet? Are we in the clear? Uh, So this morning's message is really to speak into that place of wrestling with those things. The Apostle Paul, in what Alex read for us this morning, talks about being pressed, being crushed, being persecuted. He talks about being fragile. He says in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 4, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now, the treasure is what he spoke about beforehand. It's, it's the light of God shining. It's the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ, that this rich treasure that cannot be shaken. But he says in our bodies, in, in our ministry, in our lives, we contain that in a jar of clay. Clay is brittle. It's fragile. It's easily broken. And so that's the word that he uses to describe himself and those in ministry with him. It's interesting because my my perspective on the Apostle Paul is this kind of almost immutable object that uh, he was so passionate about his ministry that nothing could faze him. But in this passage, we get him really wrestling with being in the woods with his fragility, with his propensity to be easily broken despite the richness of what is within him. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side. But not crushed. He says, we are perplexed, but not in despair. He says, we are persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. He says, we're always carrying around in our body the death of Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul is wrestling here with what is pressing and against them. He's speaking against this idea of, of, uh, I believe we are victorious in Jesus, that we have breakthrough and freedom and healing in his name, but he's speaking against this idea of triumphal faith, that if there's any brokenness, weakness, opposition, then we're not truly in Jesus. He says we're fragile, we're hard-pressed on every side, we're persecuted, says we're perplexed that's another interesting one for me the apostle paul who speaks and writes with such clarity about the nature of god says he's perplexed he's saying i don't get it what is god doing i thought we'd be out of the woods by now i thought we'd be in the clear but he's perplexed but Of course, 
And I did read the buts, but he says we're hard-pressed but not crushed. That there's pressure and pressing from every side but not crushed. Every now and again on my Instagram feed comes up this video of a hydraulic press looking at things that could crush and the things that get squished out from under it and it's kind of like this idea of this press is so strong that it doesn't matter what's under it, it could be a solid steel lump hammer, it's going to look like plasticine. But the Apostle Paul says, not us, we are hard-pressed, but we've not been crushed. He says, we, we are perplexed, we don't get it, but we're not in despair. We are persecuted, but we haven't been abandoned. We have been struck down. And I know for, for some of us, the, the experience of life at the moment is a little bit like being, getting kicked to the curb, been knocked down. But he says, we've been struck down, but we've not yet been destroyed. The image that comes to my mind when I was, I was reading this scripture was um, one of those you know, beautiful, happy stories you see in the midst of tragedy when a building collapses uh, and, and lives are lost and, and we saw this many years ago with the, the landslide at Threadbow when, when many lives were lost, but there was one person who survived because they were preserved within a void. And, and so that's the picture I get of this, that the, the, the world's tumbled around them, that they're hard-pressed, they're persecuted, they're, they're perplexed, they're struck down, but, but God has preserved them in the void of His hand. That's the picture that the Apostle Paul gives of us. In the midst of all of this stuff that we thought we might have been in the clear of, whether it's COVID, whether it's finances, whether it's an area of sin in our life, whether it's discouragement, whether it's anything, that those things are real and tangible, but God preserves us in the space, in the void of His hands. There's a scripture in Deuteronomy that says the everlasting hands of the Father are underneath. We're just all waiting for the impediment. The everlasting hands of the Father are underneath, but I suggest in these circumstances, they're all also over the top, covering us, protecting us. The other thing I think about when I think of this story, you know, it's somewhere I go to regularly uh, in moments of discouragement, and it's the story of David at Ziklag. Who, who's really familiar with the story of David at Ziklag? I want to judge, am I, am I sharing this fresh, or is it, we've been here a thousand times before. So the story of David at Ziklag, the, the, the lead up to that is that this is after David's been anointed king, and he's in this period of his life where the actual king, the, the existing king, King Saul, is trying to kill him. And so he's, he's fleeing from him. And what he's done is he's gathered together, and at this point we're told about 600 uh, men uh, as a, almost like a militia army. And so we're told also that these are like the dropouts, the dropkicks, 
uh, the refuse of society. And David has gathered them together and he's formed them into a formidable fighting force. These are his right-hand men. And so later in the scriptures, these same people will be spoken of as David's mighty men. The hundred, the three, the three hundred. There's all these renowned names given to them because they're such a, a powerful, respected force. And so David has gathered them together, but he's, he's living in Philistine territory because, you know, the king of Israel is trying to kill him. And so though he's living in Philistine territory, he's also kind of sneaking off and fighting on behalf of Israel with his men. But, but we come to this crutch moment where Philistine and all their rulers are fighting against Israel. And so David's in this kind of iffy position. If he shows his colours for Israel, then he's going to get kind of in Philistine. But if he stands with the Philistine army and fights against Israel, then he's going to be fighting against his own people and God's people over which he's been anointed king even though that's yet to become fulfilled in his life. And so God delivers him from this moment. <coughs> Pardon me, that, that the Philistines are like, ah, we don't, we don't trust David, Ben, here. He's going to turn on us. So they send him back to Ziklag, where he'd been living. But by the time they got back there, this other group of people had, had, had kind of gone, oh, everyone's left Ziklag. Let's come and, and raid it and take off all the women and children and riches. And so David has lost everything of value to him and to his 600 fighting men. And so in uh, 1 Samuel 30, we're told, verse 1, David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. That's the third day after they marched, pardon me, marching back. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives, early signs of issues, but anyway, David's two wives had been captured. Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. And so I'm going to pause there. And so this moment for David was out of one frying pan and into the fire. Only to jump out of that fire into an even hotter fire. He's hard-pressed on every side. The men that he had created, in essence, not created in the created their body sense, but the men that he had made something of, that he'd given purpose and prosperity in their life, were now wanting to stone him. He was not only had lost everything of value to himself, but those that would normally be his support and comfort had turned on him. And so the very next line is what is crucial here for us. In this translation it says, but David found strength in the Lord his God. Other translations say David strengthened himself 
in the Lord. Sometimes our strength and encouragement, in fact all the time, but often it needs to come directly from the Lord. Sometimes that's because there's no one else seeking to encourage you. And sometimes that's because the situation you're in is one in which you can't really hear that from other people but God. And so my discouragement this week, I shared with the elders and deacons and, and, and they were... They're super great people, super faithful to, to really encourage me. Uh, and that was great, but the thing about my heart was I couldn't hear it from a person. They like me, you know, you make all those excuses. Well, they like me. Of course they're going to say nice things about me. It's like sometimes uh, we're in a place where we just can't receive that as we should, and we should encourage one another. I'm not speaking against human encouragement, but sometimes we need to find that strength directly from the Lord. So praise God, our elders and deacons are nothing like David's friends. Um, and I pray that you have friends that are nothing like David's friends that turn on him. But, but what I want us to grab this morning is our true strength has to come from God. We have to be able to find strength in the Lord in these moments in life. Because sometimes the visible evidence doesn't tell the story we want to hear. The visible evidence for David was that he was in the weakest possible position he could have ever been in. The years that he'd spent building his army, the years that he'd spent positioning himself uh, for strength was all gone in that instant. And so the visible evidence was telling David he was in the weakest possible position he could ever be in. That all he'd worked for and fought for was lost. And so when we're in that place, we need to find our strength in the Lord. But I'd say as well though, even when the visible evidence is telling us a story we want to hear, we still need to come to that place of finding strength in God, not what we can see around us. The Apostle Paul, and it might be just me, but I kind of think of David and Paul as fairly similar kind of characters i think you could get the same actor to play them in a movie and that would work the apostle paul kind of reflects on this idea back in 2 corinthians 4 down in verse 16 he says therefore we do not lose heart though we are outwardly wasting away yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day and here, when, it, when he puts himself in this frame of mind, he says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. See, a moment ago, he, he'd spoken in this way. We're hard-pressed on every side. We're perplexed. We're struck down. We're persecuted. But now, a few breaths later, he's saying, but our light and momentary troubles... See, David, if he was, you know, reading the Apostle Paul's letter to the second Corinthians, to well, second letter to the Corinthians thousands of years before it was written, <clears throat> he might have said it like this. Everything has been taken away. 
And those that I've made into a people, into an army, now want to kill me. But then when he finds strength in the Lord, his perspective is, but this is light and momentary. And so he turns to the Lord in the fashion of the time. He goes um, to a priest that they had with him. He gets out the ephod, which is um, something we don't really understand how it worked, but a, a manner of in, in, uh, seeking the Lord's will for their life. And he said, shall I go up and get our wives and children's back? And the Lord says to them, go ahead, for you will surely overtake them. And so the story is they, they got all the wives and children's back. David got both of his wives back. But it's that strength in the Lord, not from another person, and despite the other people that might be seeking to sap strength from us, it's finding strength in the Lord that shifts our perspective from crushed, persecuted, perplexed, struck down to light and momentary. And so the Apostle Paul says, therefore we do not lose heart. And he gives us some instruction on how we might do that for ourselves, how we might find that strength from the Lord ourselves. He says in verse 18, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. How stupid is that? We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen? How can we look at something that's unseen? Of course, it's not stupid, it's profound and wise, but it reveals the challenge for us, doesn't it? That to find strength in the Lord, we need to actually look at things that we can't see. The things that we can see might be a destroyed city, an empty city that was filled with the laughter of children and Two loving wives to welcome you home. I'm not endorsing polygamy. It's just one of those funny facts of history where God said your king should definitely only have one wife and I think the strike rate of obedience to that was about zero for Israel. But that might be the things that we can see. The things that we can see might be our, our business buffer, our balance going down as COVID and restrictions eat it away. The things that we can see might be, well, we could finally worship in song again with God's people, and that's now taken away. The things that we can see might be a church that had grown, but now has retracted partly over the last 18 months, over COVID for various reasons. The things that we can see might not tell the encouraging story that we want to hear. But that's the challenge that Paul issues us, is to fix our eyes not on what we can see, but on what we can't see with our eyes open. It says, because since what is seen is temporary, that's how we get to the light and momentary perspective, in a sense. We close our eyes. Because anything that you can see is temporary. But what is not seen is eternal. What you see when you close your eyes to what is around you and fix 
the eyes of your heart on what is unseen, on the story God is telling you, is eternal. It cannot be stripped away. And so my question for you this morning is simply this. If you've been asking yourself the question, perhaps you're a Taylor Swift fan, but you don't want to be as vulnerable as me and share that openly, that's okay. But perhaps you've been thinking similar thoughts to that. Are we out of the woods yet? Are we in the clear? When is this going to be over? And like I said, maybe that's COVID, maybe that's something you've been dealing with for 90 years. If you've been asking that question or something like it in your life, my my encouragement is to shift the question. To ask yourself, to ask God, what do you need to close your eyes to? For this season at least. What do you need to close your eyes to? And what do you need to fix your gaze on that's unseen? What promise of God Is it the glory to come? You know, there's seasons in life where we can't see anything in this moment that gives us hope or or we can't even imagine in the unseen anything shifting in the weeks and months to come. And so we simply need to skip all of that, to close our eyes for this moment to all of that and fix our eyes on what Paul says, the eternal glory that is to come. Perhaps you need to fix your eyes on the promise of God's love. To close your eyes to what feels like evidence that you are not loved and to open the eyes of your heart to the promise that God's love to you is unbreakable. Perhaps we need to close our eyes to the evidence that tells a story we don't want to hear or that we don't like hearing and open the eyes of our heart to the story that God is writing in the midst of all of that. So this morning, let's shift the question and shift the perspective from the seen to the unseen. Heavenly Father, we don't want to be naive to the reality of life. That's not what you've called us to. That's not what the Apostle Paul meant, I don't believe, Father. But it's so easy to to look at the things around us at times and believe that story more than we believe your story. And so this morning, I pray for grace from the Holy Spirit to enable us to close our eyes to what is seen. Help us to recognize the temporariness of everything that our eyes can see. And help us to fix the gaze of our heart of our mind, of our soul and our spirit on the eternal, on your glory 
your story. Help us to not just look for the end of the woods, to hope to be in the clear, but to look to you in the woods and seek the clarity that only comes when we find strength in you and you alone. In the almighty and ever-present name of Jesus we pray. So Eliza's going to play now, and um, I just encourage you to um, close your eyes. You're not allowed to sing anyway, so you don't need to read the words. This will be a familiar song for many of us. That speaks of crushing and pressing. But I encourage you to close your eyes and just invite the Holy Spirit to come show you what he wants you to see. Not the bank balance or the numbers or the emails, but what God wants you to see that your eyes can't see right now. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in His Word, stay in His love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.